0: Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to Genesis chapter 6. We're going to pick up where we left off last time. Because remember, we ran out of time in our last study as the Holy Spirit took us in a direction uh, that took a lot of time to follow Him. And we learned how fast sin spread and multiplied. We learned what the last days of Noah look like. Why is that significant? Because Jesus said that right prior, right before He returns, the days that 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 generation lives in will be like the days of Noah. And it's important that we understand. We learn what the days of Noah look like. We learn that compromise always leads to more compromise. The decision, the direction that you choose, step one, that step two will be in that same direction. Step three, and the farther, longer you go and the farther you go, the more in sin or compromise you find yourself in. We learned how in this time around Noah that man was fashioning and imagining new ways to sin. And Noah was living in a time where man was existing to fulfill the desires of his flesh. They were living for the cult of beauty and sex. They were living for money and possessions and entertainment and position and power and recognition and personal honor. Noah was living in a time where men were willfully forgetting God altogether and living for themselves, self gratification. Paul, if you want for homework, can describe it in a different way in Romans chapter 1. Of that degradation of man turning his back on God. Well, it didn't start in the time of the first century. It began here just years after Adam and Eve were created. Man's minds were full of vain imaginations. It was so bad in the days of Noah that God's heart was grieved over it. You know, you too can grieve the Holy Spirit. So can I. We can live in such a way that we'd bring dishonor to our God and hinder the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Well, it's right here. God is grieved. And there in the middle of this ungracious world is Noah. And we learned that his name means rest. There is rest in the chaos. That's Noah. There's rest, there's protection. There's a guard available to you even in the midst of your ungracious family, your ungracious world, your ungracious workplace, your ungracious neighborhood. There's rest that's found, almost so much greater than Noah. The Bible tells us that our rest is in Jesus Christ, that we can enter into his rest and have peace in the midst of a storm, to have a calmness about us. And and what did it say, as we learned last time in verse 8 of chapter 6? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Not only did Noah find grace, by the way, but so did the unbelieving world for 100 years. They found grace as Noah became a preacher of righteousness, building the ark, obeying God. With every hammer, every cutting of a log, every preparation was a message of the grace of God and the hope of forgiveness. We tend to be so quick to act. But God, he's patient. And could it be the very trials and testings you're in right now is to draw you closer to the heart of God so you too will be patient? That I will walk in love and mercy and grace in a very ungracious world. You know that evil company corrupts good habits, and living in such a vicious world can make you vicious. can make you angry and frustrated. It can draw out for you instant retaliation and action, which is almost always in the flesh. (laughs) It's almost always self-protective. But Noah stands as a testimony to us, even now, thousands of years later, that living in the days of Noah, as Noah did, living in the days like Noah, as we do, you can find grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we emphasized last time how, God found, how Noah found grace and we emphasized that part of the verb that speaks of finding and receiving, You know, he found it, he, as if he was looking for it. And I do believe there's a great application as we emphasize looking for the grace of God but really the context of Noah finding grace is that he received it. He received grace in an ungracious world, which then would lead him to look for it and find it. But the essence of verse 8 is that God was gracious to Noah. Although he was a good man and a, 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 a faithful man, notice with me in verse 9, the genealogy of Noah, he was a just man, perfect or You could also write next to that blameless in all his generations. He walked with God. And Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And grace was found, notice, in relationship. Grace is found and experienced in relationship. Grace is found, experienced, and enjoyed in relationship. We see he found grace, but he walked with God. There is a correlation to the manner of your life and what you find. And as we emphasized last time, you find what you're looking for. And as you look for the grace of God, you'll find it because it'll bring you right to the God of grace. You see, grace is, as good as grace is, grace isn't the end. You know the end? God of grace. He's worthy of our worship. And it's so wonderful to experience you, you, What it made Noah. He made Noah a man of great character. The grace of God made Noah a man that was blameless. The grace of God enabled Noah to raise a family in the midst of ungracious world. In a God-hating world, his kids made it. They worshiped the God of their dad. They followed in his footsteps. The grace of God gave Noah, a life that was enjoyable in the midst of difficult circumstances. God promised from the beginning a godly seed of believers. He promised from the beginning a godly seed of believers through whom a Savior would come and deliver mankind, all those who would repent and call upon the name of the Lord. Now, the emphasis of Noah finding grace in the eyes of the lord is actually a picture of the great promise giver there have been movements in the past even recently that emphasizes we as especially men in particular as promise keepers and as much as i believe it's important to keep your promises and to obey god when the bible says let your yes be yes it's more important that your eyes are not on the promise keeper because you will fail But rather to get your eyes on the promise giver. (laughs) Because whatever God gives, he will fulfill. We don't always fulfill. Is there an amen? I set you up for that. We don't always fulfill our promises. We don't always keep them perfectly. We don't always deliver. Even the spirit is willing, but what? The flesh can be so weak. But I can guarantee you on the authority of God's word, there isn't a promise that God has ever given that he hasn't fulfilled or that he won't soon fulfill. Because he's the promise giver and therefore he is the perfect promise keeper. So Noah finding grace in the eyes of God is actually God keeping his promise. God found a man that he might perpetuate the lineage for Messiah to come after all the disaster and all the death and sin. And what was Noah's response? Noah believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Just like you and me, we follow in the same footsteps. You believe God? You trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Then God accounts it unto righteousness. You and I stand now in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ because you believe God. It's the same thing that happened in Romans chapter four, verse five. He says, but to him who does not work but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Without any works on your part. If you come to God and demand God to honor your works, then you don't come by faith. Here are my works, God. Now, account it to me for righteousness. And he goes, no, no, it doesn't work like that. You couldn't bring me anything that would move me to account righteousness on your behalf. But you can believe me. God says, that's what I'll let you do. You want to participate in this divine mystery? This is what I'll let you do. I'll let you believe of your own free will. And when you believe, it's accounted to you for righteousness. So finding grace is really revealing God as the God that gives promises and keeps his promises. God took Noah's belief and counted it as righteousness, as faith now and grace always go together. And I was reminded of the times that Jesus himself encouraged belief. To the ruler of the synagogue, remember he says in Matthew chapter 5 verse 36, he says, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken... He said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. How much fear is among us today? How much concern and anxiety? How how many real situations you are facing today? And you can hear the Lord say, "Don't, don't be afraid, just believe. Trust me. And for some, it's not too long ago that we can look back to see God's faithfulness in the past that God has come through for us, kept his promises to us. The power of faith, believing in God, trusting in him no matter what the world is doing, what the world is into. And it is important for us to ask on occasion, maybe even somebody needs to make a plaque. That's how much, how important this is for you. You make a plaque and put it up on your wall. And just write it up there. every time you get frustrated, every time you get upset, every time you get stirred up with the nastiness in this world, here's what you can say. You can make it your own variation, but put, put a plaque up somewhere where you see it all the time and just say, what do you expect the world to do? And just ask yourself, from, what do you expect the world to do? What, what is it that, that has broken your expectations The world is living in rebellion against the love of God. What do you expect them to do? The answer is for their hearts to be changed, for them to be alive spiritually, for them to see what they don't currently see, understand what they can't understand apart from the Spirit. What do you expect the world to do? And that could change your perspective to begin to pray for the frustrations and praying out the things that you're carrying and the burdens that are upon you. Sure, when you see the sin of men, it's gonna elicit a response. I would be surprised if you don't get upset. And I'd be surprised if you don't get angry. And I'd be surprised if there is not some emotional... Because you don't want the world to harden you. You don't want the world to make you careless. You don't want the world to make you so divided in your mind where, you know, we'll just let them go to hell. No! It's our brothers and our sisters and our in-laws those are our neighbors and our bosses, that God would break our heart for the things that break his heart, that bring grief to him. And right there, Noah, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, was a man that stood out. He found grace where it could be found you know, no one is more righteous than God. No one is more gracious than God. No one is more tender-hearted. No one is more long-suffering. No one is more forgiving than our great and gracious God. And that's where you'll find grace too. You may not always find it with the people close to you. You may not always find it with a pastor. You, might, you know, you might hit a pastor on a bad day. know, <laughs> He just has a bad day. He's got his own life. He's got the issues he's dealing with, of course. But you'll always find grace with God. You'll never hit God on a bad day. You'll never show up, oh, no, no, God's taking a sabbatical. He's not available right now. Pastors, we need sabbaticals. God doesn't need one, He sustains. You'll find grace with God as well. No one's more forgiving than God, no one's more gracious. And even though you'll find grace there, His grace will find you first. Remember we read, seems to be a theme, I'm always interested as God repeats verses throughout the different studies on the weekends and the midweek, and this is probably the third or fourth time that this passage has come up in my notes on the topic, whatever topic it is. But thinking about how grace is finding you, I'm reminded again where the Bible says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. He's actively looking, looking for those men and women whose hearts are what? Loyal toward him. Loyalty toward the Lord. Commitment. You're in an ungracious world. What's God looking for? Loyalty. Commitment. I like that. God is really, if you want to narrow it down, God is really looking for the man or the woman that's looking for him. Or as we pray today, looking to him. Or as we learn in Hebrews chapter 12, would you turn over there with me in Hebrews chapter 12? God is really looking for that man or woman, that young man, that young woman, that boy or that girl that's looking to him. Whose eyes are firmly fixed on Him? Notice with me in Hebrews chapter twelve and verse one, as the hall of faith, as the hall of faith comes to an end. Let's go back to a chapter eleven real quick and pick up in the hall of faith and be reminded of how Noah is remembered in the new covenant. Would you pick up in verse seven? Because he's one of the witnesses that are going to be mentioned in chapter twelve. Notice in Hebrews eleven verse seven. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness that is according to faith. Even long before it was accounted to Abraham, righteousness, it was accounted to Noah, Righteous, He's one of the witnesses. Notice now in chapter 12, verse 1, therefore... Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Noah being one of them, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance. How do we get endurance? One of the ways that we get endurance in James chapter 1, the testings of our faith. All the difficulties in the room today is building endurance in our lives. Every single last one of them. God is making us stronger men, stronger women of faith because of the testings. And you think, well, you know, it it just depends on how I respond. Well, you know, you can accelerate the progress a little bit if you respond well, but even if you respond incorrectly, God is still going to use the testings in your life to build your faith and to give you endurance. Because think about it, some of you have a tendency to beat yourself up and you're here right now. And you're not even here right now, you're listening on the radio and you're kind of like as far from other believers as you possibly can, watching online, listening on the radio. You know what? But you're hungry for the word of God, you love God, but you're just beating yourself up so bad because you're like, look at my life, look at what a failure I am, look how difficult. But, but you know what, you're still seeking the Lord. That counts for something. Give yourself some credit, not not like it's taking credit from God, but, but like stop disobeying God and condemning yourself and go, no, no, I do have a heart for God. I'm just sick of failing. And begin to pray about the failures. Begin to respond to the difficulties of your flesh. Do what the Bible says. Crucify your flesh. If your right hand causes you sin, cut it off. Now, don't come back to church Hey, what happened to you? Wrestling with sin. Where's your arm? Uh, you know, it's been a bad week. You know, no. You know, he's using hyper- hyperbole. And this is what Jesus is saying to us today. This is what Jesus is saying. If there's radical sin in your life, deal with it radically. Stop messing around. Stop it, coddling it like a little baby. Stop identifying by your struggle. Begin to identify the, by the victory that's yours in Christ moment by moment, just little by little, and you guys that are staying distant and away from fellowship, come back in. Don't disobey anymore. Don't be in such a deep sense of condemnation that now you're, that condemnation's bad enough, but now you don't want to be around other believers. It would have been good for you to be here and pray with the saints, literally praying with one another. Many that don't want to pray with one another are missing out on so much, aren't they? Just praying for a few minutes together. Praying for other people's needs. I mean, for some of us, for 10 minutes of praying for someone else, it's just such an encouragement. <laughs> it's 10 minutes, I don't have to worry about my own problems. <laughs> but then I'm going to the God that I'm praying so much faith with somebody else's problem. The Lord says, well, son, while you're here, <laughs> let's talk about yours. Oh, no, 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 I don't want to talk about mine right now. No, I would do. Because you have a father that loves you. You think it's only Noah that finds grace? No, you find grace too. You think the world is disintegrating at a rapid rate? It is. And it was in Noah's time. It brought upon a worldwide flood as we'll see in coming chapters. Even as the days in which we live will be sudden judgment. Sudden judgment. The place to find grace is to walk with God. How do we walk with God? Well, a simple way of describing that is read your Bible and pray every day. Let God speak to you every day and speak to God every day. If you want to broaden that simplicity to another layer of simplicity, you could say, what does it mean to walk with God? Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayer. You want to add another layer to that? You can see later on, maybe verse 46 or 47 of Acts chapter 2, they went from house to house. They spent time with one another in their community. They reached out beyond the the narrow circle of their own life to then spread the love of mercy and grace to people in their lives. They went to house to house to encourage one another, to talk about the things of the Lord. That's why when you... The very least that can happen when you're sitting under a Bible study is you'll just be encouraged because you'll be reminded that God loves you and he has a word for you. You could sit for 45 minutes and not understand a word the pastor's saying, but one thing you can understand is that God loves you. (laughs) And he gave you a Bible that has stood the test of time to speak love and mercy into your life. And I know it doesn't seem like much. It doesn't seem like it's enough, but it is. It's grace for the moment. Noah was walking with God. And he it produced a godly generation. Come back with me, generation Genesis 6. He has his kids here. Shem. It says in verse 10, his name means renown, or it could mean just basically name the Hebrew here. And you know, renown speaks of being famous. And Shem will be famous, as through him, Abraham and all the Jewish people come. This is because Noah found grace. You know, it's just, just as a side note, in our instant gratification society, we get a little discouraged when we don't see the immediate results of our faith. And it could just be that the results of your faith will come through the generations that come after you. And you won't even get to see it and experience it. It will come at a later date through your kids or through the people that you minister to or it may come in a way that you don't expect. So open yourselves just to trust God that he will keep his word. He will keep his word. Even if you don't see it. Even if you don't experience it. Even if you never hear about it. God will keep his word. He'll be faithful to that. Ham, his name name means root or the root of his name means hot or passionate or intense. Japheth, his name means fair. It also can speak of a doorway or a key. You'll see multiplied blessings through his life. Notice verse 11. Let's come back. As we're not making very much progress as we were last time, but I do believe this is the word of the Lord for us. The earth was also corrupt before God. And the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come upon me, or come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Again, I don't want to develop this, but it is something for you to pray about and think about. One of those things, if you read through the Bible too quickly, you just may miss the emotion in the Bible or the potential emotion. So I want you to consider this. How do you think Noah felt hearing firsthand from God that judgment was coming? Do you think he was concerned about his wife and his kids? Do you think he was concerned about his neighbors, about his friends? Do you think that he could handle that? Do you? I know that there are probably there's today, well, oh, if God said judgment was coming today, okay, good, this world deserves it. Really? Is that what you think you'd feel? About time, God, I've been praying for this. I've been yelling about it for years now. About time. Really? Your friend's mom's not saved. You're you're okay with that? Judgment's coming. Like I don't I don't think we should respond that way, and I don't think we would respond that way. I think it's a heavy thing to hear about judgment coming. That God's heart is grieved over what Noah's heart's grieved over. It's the corruptness of man, filled with violence, and now the end the end. So the instruction in verse 14 was, make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark coveted inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. Then he begins to give the links, what I'll get to in a moment. But before we do, I want you to mark verse 12. I didn't verify this, but somebody counted it, so I'm going to trust them on it. But they say that verse 12 is the middle verse Of chapters 1 through 11. There is a different, there is a distinction in the book of Genesis. Chapters 1 through 11, you know, we're given the foundational creation truths, our origins, our appreciation, our accountability to God who loves us and is gracious and merciful and forgiving, and it's foundational for all the other doctrines in the scriptures. But you know, the emphasis in the Bible are not these foundational things. The emphasis in the Bible is Christ. And the emphasis in Genesis, remember the focus of Genesis will really start in chapter 12 with the story of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Again, that doesn't diminish the significance of the first 11 books of the Bible in any way whatsoever, but really all eyes are on Messiah, 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 and that picks up through the lineage of Abraham in chapter 12. But here in the first 11 verses, there's a middle verse, verse 12. And it says, God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt. And the pastor I picked this up from had mentioned, as I was listening to him, that the significance of a middle verse in different places speaks to the emphasis that God wants us to pick up from. And the emphasis here was very interesting, and that's simply this. God wants us to know, the Holy Spirit wants you to know, that he sees everything that happens on the earth. Nothing is missed. Nothing is missed in this whole corrupt world, but nothing's missed in your little world either. Crying out for justice, wanting wrongs to be made right. Feel like nobody knows, nobody sees, nobody agrees. God knows. And God sees, that's what it says right here. That in the midst of all this, we get caught up in it. He looks. God sees everything that happens on the earth, everything, all the maneuverings, all the manipulations, but not only does he see all the outward things, (laughs) God also knows the heart. He examines the heart. He knows everything there is to be known, and he sees everything that there is possibly to see. And as you're seeing the decline in the world today and your heart aches over the damage of sin, can you imagine what it does to the heart of God? No wonder he's grieved over his creation. No wonder he's saddened. This is not what his intent was. That's on a macro level. But even on a micro level, in our rebellions, and our willful sin, it's not God's intent for your life. That's not why he made you. That's not why he remade you as you were born again. It's not the intent of his life for you to live in rebellion. It's not the intent of his life for you to live a prodigal life. It's not his intent in your life to just run through relationships and, and hurt people and live a life of drunkenness and partying and pornography. That's not God's intent for your life. It's not God's intent for your life to be a murmur or a complainer. It's not God's intent for you to be anxious and worrying. It's not. And he sees all things and he says, come to me. Well, I don't know how, God. And then God will just whisper, well, didn't, weren't you listening when Pastor Ed was talking about Noah? Because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. How did he do it? He walked with God. He read his Bible and prayed every day. Again, taking the new covenant. He came together in the doctrine and the study of God. He fellowshiped. You go, well, who did he fellowship with? Well, we'll find out in a moment. His family. The first part of fellowship was his family. And some of you I know don't have that privilege in your family. This is your family. And that's why it's so important to be in fellowship with your family. That's why it's so important for us to be together, to walk with God, to talk to Him and let Him talk to us. And before we point the finger of judgment upon the world, we have our hands full at home, don't we? Before we stand in some self-righteous indignation, we have our hands full. I believe today and I'm not afraid to say it, the church of Jesus Christ is in need of renewal. The church needs to be awakened to the love and the grace and the mercy of God once again. The church needs to come back to the roots of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The church needs to learn how to walk in the forgiven life that starts in the crucified life. (laughs) We need to remember that love conquers all things and that we have nothing better or greater or we have nothing to add to the glorious gospel of grace. The church needs to wake up. We need to look at ourselves in the mirror. We are in need of a wholesale revival, an awakening. Not to political power, but to holy, godly living. (laughs) A wave of holiness needs to sweep us as believers. It will rekindle hope and strength. And you will be able to walk in in a very dirty world with confidence. Where does that confidence come from? But in a right relationship with God. That you're clean before him. Remember the Bible says that judgment begins in the world. No, it doesn't say that at all. The Bible says judgment begins at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, Peter said, what will be the end of those who don't obey the gospel? We're so worried about about those, judgment upon those that don't obey the gospel and we're ignoring the only one that we control, ourselves. There's gonna be great consequence. Because there's a lot of different temptations to not walk with God. And when you're not walking with God, thinking that you are, (laughs) there's a Bible word for that. Self-deception, ineffectiveness, a life of the flesh. And so Noah, he's so close to God, God gives him insight on what's to come, and he tells him to build this ark. It says in verse 14, Build it of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, cover it inside and outside with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, its height 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark, you shall finish it to a cubit from above. Set the door of the ark on its side, you shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. And behold, I myself am bringing flood waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh and which is the breath of life, and everything that's on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. and You shall go in the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, the birds after their kind, the animals after their kind, every creeping thing, Of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you and keep them alive. And you shall take for yourself all of the food that is eaten. And you shall gather it to yourself. It shall be food for you and for them. And then verse 22. Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded it. So he did. How could Noah so quickly respond in obedience? Because he walked with God. It's not hard to obey when you're walking with God. It's very hard to obey when you're in rebellion to God. The end of this chapter brings Noah obediently doing exactly what he said. Through all the emotion, we don't know what the emotion was. It's certainly all speculation. But through it all, through the concern, through the heaviness, through the judgment, through the finding grace, through the promise of the covenant, the concern of what is a, what is a flood what what is an ark what are we going to do you know he had a hundred years to think about it (laughs) but even before the hundred years start noah did why because he walked with god just jot that down you want to help your obedience? you want to help your obedience walk with god even being here today even being under the teaching of the bible today even being in a place of worship and lifting your hands, even in being in a place of praying with one another has made you in a better position to obey whatever God has put upon your heart. I mean, this is the time. Let's just strike while the iron's hot. Choose to obey right now. Don't wait to leave. Don't let the country music in your car, why it's on, number one, we don't understand. But number two, to talk you out of it. Oh, you know, don't want to obey the Lord. You know, whatever your song is. Don't, don't, don't let something distract you. Don't let a worry or a text or some email come. Now's the time to obey God. Go ahead. Choose to obey. Make that choice in your heart unto the Lord. Do it. Go for it. Let it be said of you, thus you did, of all that God commanded you. It will become a new habit for you. Every time I'm in Bible study, I'm going to do it. Every time I'm in Bible study, I'm going to examine myself. Every time I'm in Bible study, every time Grace FM's on, any time I'm going to be listening for the voice of the Lord and obey Him. Thus Ed did. Thus Ed did. The danger is the longer you walk with the Lord, the, less, the slower you are in obeying the Lord. You would think it'd be the opposite. You would think the longer you walk with the Lord, the quicker you obey. But here is what I have found. The longer someone walks with the Lord, the, the longer they live, in, the, the more that they find their flesh creeping in, creating excuses not to obey. Because you know, Christians, we can justify just about anything and call it the Lord. And we'll blame God for every bad decision we've ever made. But in the new believer's zeal, we'll do whatever God says. We're so in love with him We're so excited that I've never seen that before. I've never heard that before. I didn't even know that. I can't tell you how many times reading the Bible. I didn't even know that was in the Bible. I didn't even know that was in the Bible. I had no idea it was in the Bible. And it made me excited. It's like, the Bible actually answers my questions. The Bible will answer your questions before you even ask them. That's how much God loves you. And Noah did. He says in verse 14 again, make yourself an ark. Despite the coming judgment, Noah, there is a way of escape. And this is Noah's mission from God. This is Noah's mission from God. The ark would be a huge barge-like structure the size of a modern-day sea vessel. 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, 35 feet deep, 18-inch window around. This was no love boat. This was a large barge. And, and I have some details for you just to consider how big it is. However, you can go to a replica of the ark today and see it for yourself. The kids from the academy just got back. That was their field trip. Isn't that amazing? You know, when we had field trips, we went to like the La Brea Tar Pits in downtown LA. Our kids go on field trips. They, they head off to Kentucky to go see the ark. I think, man, they Sorry, I'm okay with it. I'm glad for them even though I haven't seen the Ark yet. But I want to. (laughs) Listen to to it, listen. The gross tonnage of the Ark was almost 14,000 tons. It could accommodate the equivalent of 522 train cars. The Ark was twice as long as the early 747-100B. It would take nearly one and a half football fields to equal the Ark's length. 62 smart cars parked bumper to bumper would stretch from the Ark's bow to stern. NASA could lay three space shuttles nose to tail on the deck of the Ark. To, to float the Ark in an Olympic sized swimming pool, you'd need to line up three of them together. The Ark would be well over one and a half times the length of a World War II Gato class submarine, or looked at another way, nearly half the length of a modern Nimitz class aircraft carrier. Noah's ark was a bit longer than 12 40-foot telephone poles laid end-to-end. Using a standard boxcar, it would require lining up 10 of them to equal the ark's length. Each could carry about 240 sheep or about 125,000 total sheep. Researchers concluded that they would need enough room for about 32,000 animals, plus five of each of the clean animals, and their totals of all the animals mentioned here would max out at about 70,000 total animals, and the capacity was 125,000. Answers in Genesis is a great website to go to for the real deep dive on the details, if that's the kind of person you are. These guys, this is the life they live, this is what they're into, they spend their whole life studying these things. So if you wanna go a deep dive on this, go to Answers in Genesis, and if you really wanna go on a deep dive, plan a trip to the Creation Museum and to the ark yourself and see it for yourself and watch what God could do just by seeing a replica of this, at least what they perceive it would be. Not only the ark becomes a type and a picture of our savior, we'll see in a a, a study coming up that the only way to be saved was to be in the ark. So Noah's told, I'm gonna save you. And Noah's also told in verse 18, more importantly, I'm gonna give you my word. That's what it means when he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to give you my word. We're going to make an agreement, and I'm going to make my covenant with you. And this, by the way, in the Bible is the first mention of covenant. In the Bible, first mentions are very important. It speaks of rescuing, it speaks of redemption. This covenant speaks of salvation in the midst of judgment. God knew, Noah's, God knew Noah's thoughts and emotions, and therefore God knew Noah needed to be comforted and assured. He needed the promise of God to get him through. And he gives all the instructions about the animals, and I love how it ends, thus Noah did. I have a note that I wrote in some pastor I was listening to. I don't know who it was. Probably Pastor Chuck Smith, but I wrote next to it. Never, never, never underestimate the vital importance of obedience. Never, never, never underestimate the vital importance of obedience. Never minimize it. Never think even the smallest obedience doesn't matter. You know, well, what's this big deal? You know, what, what? No, never underestimate the pattern of obedience walking with God in your life. Because we read Noah like a Sunday school story, but it wasn't a Sunday school story for him. the world. It, It was a disastrous time in the history of humanity that's used as an example to a generation. I believe we are that generation that says the disaster, the disastrous time of Noah will be replicated or even worse in the latter days right before I return. And Jesus would ask us the question, what manner of persons ought we to be? And so, Father, we want to follow in the footsteps of Noah. We want to find rest in the midst of storms and and calm in the midst of the restlessness. And our desire is to find grace in a very ungracious world. So, Father, we are asking today that you would make your word come alive in us. And although the Sunday school version of Noah and his ark is, is helpful, there's so much more to the story so much more to learn of the great promise keeper the consequence of sin it's just not worth it it's just not worth it and even the ongoing consequences we we no longer sin but we now we have all this regret and all these anxieties and all this we just pray for that delivering power of your grace tonight god among us. We pray for the prodigal kids that are out there, and some of them aren't kids at all. They're adults. We just ask for you to apprehend their hearts, Lord. Grab a heart. Grab a hold of their minds. Reveal to them your great love. Forgive us, God, where we have misrepresented you to make it harder for them to believe, to make it harder for them to yield, and forgive us, God, that we might walk in, in grace, but also in truth. We don't want to abandon truth in any way. And yet, at the same time, we don't want to abandon love in any way either. We just don't know sometimes how that all mixes together, God. So give us wisdom. Your word says that you give wisdom. So please give us wisdom as we seek to be the church in these final last days. And who knows, it may not be the final last days of the world. Maybe it's our final last days that we might just live unto you and our last breath, loving you, God, and loving our neighbor. Whatever the case, God, may we be found faithful in your return. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora.